I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is Flop Culture. you are indeed listening to Flop Culture once again, a podcast where we mainly talk about flops. We also talk about bops, hot goss, pop culture at large, everything in between. I'm your host, Vanula J. Thank you so much for listening to last week's episode on Colin Farrell with Dave Hannery and all the nice feedback. I'm glad people enjoyed it and nobody wanted to break my legs after. I was very, very concerned about that. We've got a complete gear change this week in terms of flops. But before that, some news. Molly May Haig had her baby. Congratulations, herself and Tommy Fury, our parents. They did not name the child Cirrus, Cumulus, Nephili was also suggested at one point, not Scammel. Uh, the child's name is indeed Bambi. Bambi Fury, Bambi Haig Fury, unclear, but they're delighted, absolutely thrilled with life, loads of pictures online. She had previously said that this was a, a child's name that she loved since she was very young and she didn't know anyone else who had the name and it was very unusual, hence everyone guessing cloud-related names because she was using lots of cloud emojis and when she shared the photo of the nursery, there's like these clouds over the baby. But you know what? I'm just going to say it. I like I like Bambi. I think Bambi works. Uh, and you know what? I If they're going by Bambi Fury, I think that works better because it sounds like as many people have pointed out online, it sounds like if Michael Bay directed a Bambi sequel, which I would love to see. Make that happen, please. Congratulations to them. What a buzz. What a thrill. Okay, without further ado, let's get back to the business. The business of flops. Look, you've seen the title. You know what you're listening to. You're ready to argue that this flop actually isn't a flop at all. And in so many ways, it's not. But what this is is a great walk down soap memory lane, especially for anyone who is a lapsed soap fan like myself, someone who maybe hasn't watched since they were a kid. This focuses on one of the most significant soap baddies of all time, perhaps, with a great guest. So funny. You're going to love it. Here it is. We are, of course, talking about Carnation Streets, Richard Hillman with FM 104's Graham O'Toole. Hope you enjoy. 
Graham O'Toole, what an absolute pleasure to have you on Flop Culture. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. I just want to thank you very much for asking me on because it got me to look back at my flop. And the last couple of days of my life have been so much fun getting to relive this beautiful man's moment on television in the early noughties. I love it. Okay, don't keep, keep us in suspense. Who is this beautiful man that you speak of? I, I have to defend the reason he's a flop as well. Okay. My flop this week is Richard Hillman from Carnation Street. <laughs> <laughs> now, people might think, why would you choose Richard Hillman? Well, first of all, I want to say, and I don't know what your family house was like back in the early noughties. I know I'm a few years older than you, so it might have been a bit early for you, but... I was a huge Coronation Street fan. Like my family, we didn't have Sky, we didn't get Sky till maybe the late noughties. So it was Emmerdale, Coronation Street and EastEnders. Like back to back to back every single day of the week. And when Richard Hillman came on the scene in the early noughties, it changed everything. Now you're thinking, okay, it sounds like you like Richard Hillman. And when I was researching it, I was thinking, God, he did win a lot of awards and it was like one of the highest rated TV episodes of all time. (laughs) Surely he's a success, not a flop. And you would be right. However, retrospectively looking back at the acting and the storylines and the way the stories unfolded, that is why I'm saying he's a flop. I still love Richard Hillman okay. and everything about the character. But if you look back in today's world when we're used to like, you know, Breaking Bad, The Wire, Sopranos, all these big TV shows. I understand I'm talking about a soap here in the UK. <laughs> but the acting is so atrocious that it is fantastic. I So we weren't a big soap household but I did watch Coronation Street my mom was like not not against them but she didn't she didn't approve of EastEnders she kind of thought EastEnders was like the worst in terms of crime and like th- people having sex whatever and then I think Emmerdale I just found boring Emmerdale was the, nothing ever happened in Emmerdale nothing ever happened ever happened that's why it was on at 7 yeah. that was pre prime time <laughs> Emmerdale was 7 half 7 half 7 that really kicked in then with Coronation Street but I, I did watch Cory and around this time because when you sent the name initially I was like because I haven't watched in a number of years yeah. and I was like the name doesn't ring a bell and then I googled it and I was like I just knew immediately and I was brought back to the moment of him driving the canal into the car and it was like I had PTSD for that oh. younger version of Fanula, like asking my mom about whether these fictional characters were going to live or die and my mom having to explain that well they weren't real so like it's <laughs> it's gravy girl do not worry about Bethany she's fine um Give a bit more context on who Richard was in terms of the soap. So he was a baddie, as oh, we've kind of established. He was the baddie. So he came in the early noughties and like he married Gail Platt in 2001. Now, Gail Platt has had awful luck. Perpetually unlucky like, in love. Five husbands she's had. Four of them have died. <laughs> so the first one got stabbed. The second one cheated on her. The third one was Richard Hillman. So he died in the canal. We'll, yeah. get, or we'll get to that later on. <laughs> The fourth one died by suicide. Right. After initially faking his death. Gail went to prison for his death and then he died by suicide after that. And then the fifth had a heart attack. That was the most recent one. I think that was maybe four or five years ago. Now, I don't want everyone to think that I'm still watching Carnation Street. I okay. haven't watched Carnation Street okay. till probably the tram crash in 2010. Oh, that tram crash was. <laughs> that, that was a big one. We were hyped for the tram crash. <laughs> we're always hyped for disasters on soap sets like people dying, kidnappings, like crashes, weather events. I'm there hooked to my veins. <laughs> but Richard Hillman for me was just the character of Soapland of eternity. I know you've got your Ken Barlows, you've got your Kevin Websters, but for me, Richard Hillman. Because initially when you asked me to come on the podcast, I was like, yeah, like, I watch that canal scene so many times. <laughs> like, it's just so badly 
acted and there's so many flaws and wrong things in that scene. And then I then went back and read about more about him and I looked at other scenes and other murders that he did. And there's just such bad acting and everything. But it's all so brilliant. So I think he had one, two, three, four. There was four deaths in total, three that he murdered. Mm. And it just stems from the fact that so... He was a financial advisor who came to Carnation Street, found Gail Platt, obviously like every other man around the Manchester area, fell in love with Gail Platt. So alluring. So hot. <laughs> such a sexy personality. <laughs> it just, everything about Gail gets you going. And to be fair, Richard Hillman is actually a very handsome man. Very handsome. Very handsome. handsome and, and still is to this day, the mm. actor Brian Capra and I was watching a Loose, Loose Women episode this morning when he came on and like uh, was reintroduced to Maxine Peacock. And it's like, Damn, he's still a pretty good-looking guy. Yeah, he still got it. Still got it. But his thing was, so he's a financial advisor, but he was a con man. So what he would do is he would buy back mortgages. So he'd go to the old people in the local area. He would buy their house off them for a lower price. He would then allow them to live there rent-free. Then he'd hope they'd die pretty soon, sell their house and get all the money. So that was the plan. That was the plan of action. And he was also a bit of a builder as well around the local time. But his first big scene was with Dougie. Okay. Dougie was a builder and his kind of partner in crime. And they were doing these apartments and Richard Hillman found out that he was cutting corners. And he went to approach him within the, in the building and uh, they had this big max, massive argument. And of course, Dougie then fell from the top stairs, of leaning on the banister, which he also spent less money on to save and cut corners, fell off the banister, fell down to his death and Richard Hillman ran down. And this is the moment, this is the moment where we figure out his, his kind of character arc kind of starts going. Because he had the opportunity to ring 999 and help Dougie but instead he reached into his pocket, stole his keys and went to Dougie's apartment to take back his money. And I was like, this is it. This is the moment where everything changes for Richard Hillman because instead of saving Dougie, the man who has conned him out of thousands of pounds, he goes to his house and <laughs> he steals his safe. But my favourite part of this and it's when the acting is so bad. So he breaks into his apartment and the alarm goes off. Mm-hmm. And you know you might start panicking, Richard Hillman goes, well, what am I going to do here? Like uh, The alarm is going off. He looks at the table in front of him where there's loads of trophies. I don't know what they're for. He picks up the trophy. He looks at the trophy. And on the trophy, there was a year, like 1998. I don't know, like whatever the award is for, maybe gold scorer of the year. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know what it was. He picks up the trophy. He looks at the trophy. This is 1998. Turns around to the security code, types in 1998 and the alarm goes off. Of, of course. And I was like... Of course. This, got it in one. This is just perfection. This is perfection of acting and story writing. And I go... And that was the moment I saw I go, boom. This is how I can say that he's a flop. Because the acting and the writing behind it was so cheesy back in the early noughties. And uh, so he goes there, steals the cash. He goes back to the building site, stuffs the keys inside uh, Dougie's pockets. And then he goes back to the pub, fakes a call with Dougie in front of Gail... Boom, he's got his alibi. I go, it's perfect. But from then on, then it starts getting a little bit sketchy because then he starts losing money on these apartments where Dougie died and then he needs to start killing off people to get all the money back. Yeah, because the whole thing was that they were building like a hostel or something to do with like 
homeless people a homeless shelter was being built near the apartments yeah. so the property value was going down yeah. so as you said he was like right I need a few more old people yeah. you know where there's loads of old people old Coronation yes. Street full of them so this is also when his ex-wife Patricia comes back just as he's about to marry Gail. Yes, because the whole thing was they were together. He wanted a family, but she ended up looking after his mom, who was unwell and elderly. And yeah. Patricia was like, fuck you, I can't be arsed with this. Like, let's, I'm off to live my best hot girl summer, you know. And yeah. then, But then she comes back and is like, actually, I need a few bob, please. Yeah. So she's going back and she knows all about his dodgy dealings. And she meets him at the where that building site is where Dougie died. So back to the scene of the crime and she's there arguing with Richard Hillman saying, give me 25k and I'll leave you alone. And he basically doesn't have the money, obviously. And they get into this really weird kind of wrestling match around a hole. And it's kind of that tentative moment where you think, is she going to drop inside this hole that is dug for foundations or is she going to survive it? And so they're doing this wrestling match. She falls in but kind of grabs on to the edge Richard kind of saves her and then kind of, you can kind of see this moment where he wants to save her. <laughs> and then she gets out of the hole, says, if you don't pay me, I'm going to go to the cops and I'm going to tell Gail all about your dodgy dealings. And he delivers one of his most iconic lines. I wrote it down because he's got a few of them in it. It's when the camera okay. just zooms in on his face and he goes, that wouldn't be really clever, would it? <laughs> and it was just the way he said it. Like, it's not a fantastic line. The lines get a lot better as yeah. we go on. But it was the way he said it and the way he delivered it was just so perfect. And then she spits in his face. And then it turns. Then everything changes. She spits in his face. And then he does the grab for the shovel. And the shot, the next shot is just so perfect as well. Where he holds up the shovel and there's like a three second pause. Where she does the dramatic look up going, oh my God, he's going to hit me with the shovel. He's looking down, reverse shot. Yeah, I'm going to hit you with a shovel. And then boom. And then... However the producers did it, they obviously made some sort of model of Patricia, the ex-wife, and just did this massive throw of a human body into the hole. And that was it. (laughs) And it was just so cheesy. And I was like, I absolutely love this character so much. And to make it better where the storyline just keeps on getting better and more just outrageous is he puts out, obviously, oh my God, my wife, she's gone missing. Where, Where is she gone? But... The cops come to her saying, we've identified a body which looks like your ex-wife, Patricia. But they couldn't have identified Patricia because she's under a load of cement in the foundation. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about the police in Manchester, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. And so he goes, it's not Patricia. But he goes, yeah, yeah, that's Patricia. That's Patricia. (laughs) That's her there, yeah. So then, boom, case closed. He's got away with, he's got away. So that's actually his first murder. Yes. So not as because the one he just assisted in Dougie's death by not ringing 999. Manslaughter, yeah. This was... The big murder. So this was the one we know, okay, Richard Hillman is willing to do anything. Yeah. A, to marry Gail, because she's obviously, we've been through it. She's a sex pest. So hot. Great personality. <laughs> she doesn't want anybody, he doesn't want anybody getting in the way of that marriage. <laughs> and then, obviously, okay, he's going to do everything to hide the fact that he's this, you know, really bad, dodgy dealer. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, imagine wanting to get with Gail that much. Like, imagine wanting to give it all up for Gail. And sorry, like, David. Imagine wanting to be David's stepfather that badly when he's already starting to be a bit unhinged. I you know David what I mean? so much. He is so, <laughs> da- so evil. I just... So, and I was actually looking at the time as well, where, so it was Sarah and David were Gail's children. And something I completely forgot, that they did a teenage pregnancy, where yes. Sarah was... Um, 
pregnant at 13 yeah. with Bethany which was one yeah. thing I completely forgot about yeah. that she was so I knew she had a child but I was thinking okay maybe it was 16 or 17 but it was uh, it was 13 and also around that time as well I know we're going off the course and we're just talking about Coronation Street how they um, they had Hayley Cropper in it yeah. as well who was trans yeah like nobody touched trans in the that was the late 90s yeah. so ahead of its time yeah. and such a beloved character as well with the Incarnation Street and the fact that Roy and her got together and I remember again completely going off the Richard Hillman case as well but uh, sorry I just love it so much <laughs> where it was such was it it was Haley who got terminally ill yeah and then it, that was a real big moment as well I was crying watching Haley die in the bed above above Roy's rubbles I think that was like again I'm a Fairweather fan so yeah. like don't come at me but in some ways I do really think this was a golden era for it in terms of characters you were invested with as much as the storyline and the writing might not have been there for parts and this is probably the best example because when you think of Coronation Street in these peak moments it's like Richard Hillman driving into the canal like because it was maybe so dark for a soap as well progressive in other ways like the examples you made but I suppose with this storyline it was just we'd never kind of seen something as are just truly like really heinous, yeah. really serious. And for a show that's usually, you know, like quite light and it's just about kind of people's drama or whatever, it was very, very intense for these few weeks that these that this particular storyline was carrying out. Like it was really the peak of it in some ways. Like again, it's easy to look back and be like, this is so naff. But I remember like being great. Like this was event. We've talked a lot about event television on the podcast before. This was it. And even the tram crash is probably the last example of it. Mm. I don't know many examples of serial kind of shows like this and like soaps where you're like, I have to watch. I have to be like, this is, I, I'm not watching on catch up, like spoilers, whatever. I need to, I need to be there half seven and watch it. Well, this brings us perfectly into the next killing. Mm. Maxine Peacock. 17.5 million people viewed. What? 17.5 million people watched Emily Peacock be beaten to death at the crowbar by Richard Hillman. I don't mean to laugh, sorry. <laughs> that's, that's Ireland four times, isn't Cause, it? Because I was looking, so... Roughly, don't at me about census figures, but ish, like... So I, I tried to go into your realm and try and do a comparison. So okay. this year's Love Island peaked, uh, the finale was... 3.5? 3.2 or something like that? In, yeah. in the 3 in millions. Around, yeah. And, um, which is I, unheard of in today's television yeah, terms, it, which really puts this into perspective. No, I understand that's ITV2 and a different and a kind of a more targeted demo mm. with Love Island. But I was seeing ITV also came out this week saying they would be happy with Big Brother getting about 1 million per night. And I'm like, Jesus, Coronation Street had 17.5. Now, again, caveat, different time, early noughties. Not everyone had... Sky at the time as well and we didn't have the streaming services and the the different screens that we yeah. have today. I completely understand that. But I suppose just at the time of what of a culture moment it was as he was saying. Um, but I think this is one of my favourite deaths in uh, the Richard Hillman one because of everything that surrounded it. Mm. So, he did the mortgage buyback with Emily. So yes, Emily, is Emily, one Bishop. Of, Emily Bishop, one of the older members of Coronation Street, one of the most beloved ones. Yeah. He already tried to spike her and uh, kill her in a previous episode, but Norris, Norris was the only, one of the only people on the street who was calling out Richard Hillman. Mm. And Richard the dick, can I swear? I can swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard the dick took Norris in a car, brought him to the scene of his two murders beforehand, well, murder and manslaughter, and threatened him 
poor Norris into kind of keeping quiet. But Norris all along, you'll find out near the end of it, he was like, I told you so, I told yeah. you so. Yeah. Um, so Norris helped, saved Emily the first time and then he really needed money um, going into everything around 2002. So he's like, right, I got to kill Emily. So what he did was, <laughs> he got Audrey, who is Gail, his wife's mother's medicine, so for some reason she was on some tranquilizers. Tranquilizers. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't know why she was on tranquilizers, <laughs> but anyway, she was. He got the tranquilizers from the medicine cabinet, then got his stepdaughter, so Sarah's boyfriend, mm. tranquilized him because they were having scraps at this yeah. point, I think, and there was yeah, they were going through a rough patch. Stole his clothes, <laughs> stole his jacket and his hat and his runners and his thing. When Adam's nodding, he re- he remembers, he remembers. Um, went across to Emily's house with a crowbar. Now, smacked this woman in her 70s with a crowbar over the head. She didn't die. All she got was a nosebleed from it. Okay, so <laughs> sketchy bit number one, you'd think she would die. But the reason she was in, so she was in the Peacock's house because she was babysitting the Peacock's. There was a party happening in the Rover's return. Obviously, that's the only place they can have a party. Maxine comes back unannounced and then he delivers one of his next killer lines. He comes in, see, well, she comes in, sees him with the crowbar, sees Emily Bishop on the couch with the nosebleed from getting whacked over the head. <laughs> and he's like, you should have stayed at the party, Maxine. <laughs> he delivers that line. Then you hear Maxine's child cry. Now, Joshua this, starts crying upstairs. Yeah. Very convenient timing. Cries. However, did you notice when watching back, when she starts screaming and he gets hit with the crowbar, Immediately stops crying. Yeah. No more crying from the baby. Yeah. Why did the baby stop crying? <laughs> like, surely the baby cries once. Maxine shouts. Richard hits her with the crowbar. Then the baby stops crying. Mm, doesn't add up. Maybe add maybe up. the baby was an accomplice. May- <laughs> we haven't looked into this. <laughs> I'm telling you, the baby wanted Emily Bishop's money as well. Uh, uh, conveniently, Emily Bishop wakes up from being hit in the head and uh, she's concussion, so can't remember a thing. Convenient. Convenient. Then Aiden... Goes to prison. Or gets arrested. But this is the start of the downfall. Yeah. This is the start of the he downfall. He starts to unravel here. Oh. Um, one of my favourite parts as well is at Maxine's funeral. <laughs> um, at Maxine's funeral. I think it was, either, was it Ashley, her husband, or was yeah. it the father? Someone anyway. Well, was, so, yeah, yeah. It was someone was up there doing a talk. They broke down. And Gail, of course, nudges Richard to go up and finish the reading. And that's when Audrey starts seeing a little bit of like, there's something not right here. I forgot to also mention that he's trying to kill off Audrey during all of this throughout yeah. the whole thing because Audrey has shit ton of money. If he kills her, Gail, the daughter, will get all the money and then he'll be free of all the debt that he has. Yeah, he's trying to like inherit inherit uh, Audrey's house and is trying to make her think she's like going mad throughout yeah. this whole time. So like there's scenes where I get like mixing up the medication and dropping, like basically trying to make her think she's going goo goo gaga. But again, she kind of cops that like she kind of sees through it and realises like there's no way like this is a weird make or someone's kind of planting stuff on me my, so she's my favourite one is sauce. when he takes her dress and brings it to the dry cleaners to the dry cleaners <laughs> <laughs> and then leaves the, leaves the receipt in her pocket it's like where's what my a, dress what a helpful serial the, killer you know yeah, it's, it's in the dry cleaners so he sets her house on fire by leaving the stove on while she's asleep yeah so iconic. everyone thinks oh she's gone she's gone to Lally yeah. she's obviously leaving the stove on uh, here comes superhero Steve McDonald obviously to save the day the big man Steve yeah um, so everyone thinks she's gone a bit mad she and Norris are now in cahoots saying Richard Hillman is out to get everybody mm. but nobody is listening until then when does it start to unravel so Audrey spots it at the funeral and then it is Gail Rem- oh yes I got it now so Aiden's in Aiden's in prison they, I, they can finally realise that he was drugged with tranquilizers with the same stuff that Audrey is on Gail then decks 
boom, I remember seeing Richard at the medicine cabinet. Something else happens with a bracelet from his ex-wife Patricia was found at the scene in the building site. found it or something yes. or it was given to and then Gail or Audrey's like, that's not, what are you talking about? Like, that's not, how did he come about that bracelet? Whatever. Yeah. And then she starts asking questions and then boom, he goes on the run. So then, every, so he's on the run now. Yeah. He confesses, he goes into hiding for a few weeks yeah. and then back with quite a literal bang, I would say. Oh, well, strap in because this is the greatest piece <laughs> of television history you will ever witness. Like, honestly. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Me and Nathan talk about this scene on radio at least once every two weeks. It is. It really has stood the test of time in terms of tension, going back to that thing of, even though you might not have really liked, because we've talked about, you know, Gail, well, Bar Gail, because she is just such a sexy, sexy hobo hobo. Oh, but like, the, the, even, yes. you know, but even that family, it's like, you were kind of rooting for them because Gail was so unlucky in love and you just want to, and like, uh, Sarah's after going through everything with the teen pregnancy and like David's whatever David's daddy issues whatever they're all going through a lot and then Richard is obviously this really evil person so you're just kind of rooting for them like I vividly remember the promos for this episode like what was going to happen were they going to survive this was like the ultimate moment in soap history for me you thought the Maxine murder had viewers this had 19.4 million viewers I was like what that's, that's insane one in three people in the UK we're watching this. No, like, no, no recording, no taping. Watching it no live. No watchback. Yeah. Watching it live. And, oh, it's just, but I know you say it stood the test of time and it has because it's fantastic television. However, there are so many flaws in the whole scene. It's like, so it starts where they're in the garage and he has them all tied up. I think it's the Citroen Picasso or something yeah. like that. He's come back at this point. Ford Galaxy. Oh, Ford, Ford Galaxy. Galaxy. I don't know. Adam. Here he is. <laughs> he's, so, but, okay, so he's come back. He's just tied them all up. So yes. it's Gail, Sarah, Bethany and David yeah. in the car. In the and car. they're all tied up and gagged. So they're all tied up and they can realise, some. the people in, on the street can realise something's happening in the garage yeah. at the Platts house. So they're opening it up and there he is sitting there. However, did you notice when watching it back, Gail seems very calm. Gail does seem very she seems calm. Very calm in the front of the car, not that she looks like she's going to be murdered. So how they're all tied up as well is they're gagged. Their their arms they're not tied, their legs and arms aren't tied separately. Their forearms are tied to their thighs as well, which is very important later on as we move Extreme on. Extremely important. Which yeah. I which I one thing I was like, how did you not see this, Richard? They then burst out. So then it's um what's his name? Martin Platt. So Martin Platt is David's dad. 
and Kevin Webster and some other bloke I can't remember get in a car near the garage and they start going on a chase. So Richard's going down the motorway in the Ford Galaxy. Thank you, Adam. Not a Citroen Picasso. <laughs> Very, important. Very important. And they're being followed here. The slowest car chase I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> so they're like, Richard is driving so slow. You'd think if he was trying to get away uh, abducting this family, he would be pelting it down. Pelting it, yeah. It's late at night, there's no one on the road. You can pelt it as much as you can. Then, um, I keep forgetting his name, Martin Platt and Kevin Webster behind. Martin Platt is obviously very afraid that his ex-wife and kids are in the back going, can you hurry up? Can you hurry up? They're going so slow. And there's a constant distance between the two cars, yeah. which you could easily close if you were Kevin Webster driving. Just start ramming the car, like, Kevin. Honestly, close the gap. Even if you don't want to hit the car just in case, close the gap. Yeah. Like, and he's... Like he's back. Close my kids. They're going to be killed. They're going to be. I was like, Kevin, close the gap. Now, one stage to say, let's close that gap, or let's try and get beside them, or drive in front. Kevin Webster is a mechanic of the town. I presume he's a good driver. He's so useless in this particular scene. He had a couple of clanger lines that I'm just. But then, okay, so let's go back to the Ford Galaxy. Richard is there, looking in the mirror. Okay, yeah. looking in the mirror now. Watching the car behind him, he's like, "Oh, would they just ever let us be? Would they ever let us be?" Gail still very calm, still very calm, being gagged, not really doing much to try and struggle or try and grab. Like I presume you could grab the handbrake if your hands were your hands aren't tied. Your, if your hands, hands are just tied your, like your this. Your forearms are on your thighs and yeah. your hands are out. So you could try and do something. Do a lean? Yeah, yeah. Sarah has somehow managed to smuggle a pair of scissors into the car. Incredible. She then. Trust her younger brother David to cut himself open, okay? And this is this is the biggest flaw for the whole thing. Yeah. He's cutting himself open, so that's fine. He's used his spare hands, and so he's managed to bend his wrist back and cut open the tape, which is fine. But then he has to unravel the tape around his one of his forearms around his thigh, to which one it is so loud. Like you can clearly hear in the car that he's doing this. Yeah. Richard hasn't decked it yet. Yeah. And two, the gestures he's making to unravel are so big. How is Richard not decking this in the rear view in mirror? The mirror? Like, R- David comes completely free without Richard spotting it at all. At all. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Then we got to talk about the music. Yeah. Iconic. And I was like, I, like, I, I never, the one hit wonder, they're called the wannabes from Sweden. You and me. You and, and me. me. Always. It's so funny. And forever. Such a juxtaposition. Very app song though. Yeah. I was like, I just want this family all to myself because again, Gail, sexy <laughs> bitch. No one else can have her. I need her to myself. <laughs> can you tell me though, what other movie that film was in? Oh, no. Also kind of apt. I, I'm going to be I say so Baz cross. Lerman. Romeo and Juliet? Yeah. Because <gasps> Why? Gail and Richard are the, lovers. are the Romeo and Juliet of the soap world. It all makes sense. The producers knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh. So David gets free, tries to wrestle with the, <laughs> tries to wrestle with Richard while again, the car behind is seeing all this happening but just can't close the gap. Yeah. Cannot overtake. Just Dullery. cannot get past third gear. Like <laughs> Very slow moving Ford Galaxy. And, like, and then the most iconic line of the whole soap Richard, just as he's about to go into the canal. I love you! I love you! (laughs) 
To which I say to my girlfriend a lot in that tone <laughs> while I'm driving. <laughs> which probably isn't the most... Not great. Not the greatest thing to do. Not great. Like, Please will you stop doing the Richard Hillman, especially when we're in the car? And I go, sorry, Gail. I mean, Claire. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was just David in the back trying to unravel. It's just distracting me while I drive. The greatest piece of television ever. The greatest scene. The greatest but worst scene I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, in hindsight, there are a lot of there are a lot of things. Where, even when you talk about that initial struggle when David initially does get free and he's like trying to like kind of wrangle with Richard, like that's a bit that's very sloppy. Yeah, Slo- sloppy is the most perfect adjective used in describing all of the acting from Richard Hellman. Yeah. It's perfect. But yeah. I tell you what, let's go back to Kevin Webster. What a useless prick because <laughs> at one point, okay, so let's rewind. So yeah. they're ju- at this point, uh, Rich, they've discovered there's something going on in the garage So they and they've pulled out whatever and everyone in the street is like, <gasps> whatever. And it's your man, the Platt ex-husband. What is his name again? Martin? Yeah, Martin. Martin. How do I keep forgetting Martin's name? Martin Platt. The Martin Platt erasure, we will not stand for it. Him, Kevin, and that other fellow whose name I'm yeah. not really concerned about, right? And they're standing around and they've decided they're going to go after them. And they, he turns to Kevin and er, er, and he's like, where's your car? Can we take your car? And Kevin goes, Sally's taking a chopping! And it's like, for fuck's <laughs> sake, Kevin! Sally, uh, Sally Webster, another uh, one of my least favourite characters from Carnation Street. Such a flop. I oh. hate Sally Webster. If we, could, want- we could definitely you could come on every season and just keep picking different characters and we could oh. get into this I think I didn't realise how much material is in this <laughs> and then at one sorry Norris goes into the, to the pub then love, as well love Norris this yeah. is his moment and he's like fully just a full exposition on what's been happening and how he knew what was going to happen whatever and at one point again another character at the bar is like did you take the registration and it's like <laughs> we are so far past this people are about to die we need to intervene here forget about the fucking registration <laughs> Like, it is just... And then, when they do get to the scene, so, okay, he's like, I love you, they've driven into the canal, obviously, very tense, whatever. It's the next episode where we find out what happens. Uh, uh, Martin and Kevin eventually get there four hours fucking later at the rate they're driving. (laughs) They're looking at the canal and Martin's like, right, I need to go in and rescue them. He gets into the water. So does the other fella. Kevin's like, you know what? I'm going to stare. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to supervise. Sally's just got back from shopping. Yeah, I need like, to help her bring in the bags. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take more than one trip, guys. I need, <laughs> you know. So Martin, Sarah comes up. Sarah has Bethany. David is sorted. And then Richard is trying to drag yeah. Gail back to kill her. Yeah. And then the other fella gets Gail. She's sorted. They go back to try and get Richard. And he's not in the car. Yeah. Do we think he's still alive? Has that ever been answered? Because well, that was my uh, that was my theory when I was a child. I was like, he's still alive. He's going to come back for them. This is awful. We will never be rid of him. I and I was terrified. I found him truly frightening at that age. Well, shall we fast forward to twenty eighteen? <gasps> yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> this is the best episode ever. Oh my god! And now, it was the Wikipedia open. He's horrified. Actually, yeah. I'm- Crawling through here trying to see what we've got. But anyway, paint the picture. Paint no, you the see, picture. Okay, there are there at the time. I because whoa, don't you? Worry, we covered this on the radio show at the time. At the time, the headlines were very misleading. Okay, is Richard Hillman returning to Corrie? And we were like, what? Oh my god, this is this is it. Like, the, yeah. it only took what fifteen years for them to realize. Yeah, it's time to bring back the big dog. All right. However. So what happened was, so it was so disappointing. I was like, oh, jeez. So 2018, Gail's fifth husband dies. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, why am I having so much bad luck? Have you like, ever thought maybe it's you, Gail? <laughs> yeah, say, yeah. <laughs> so she goes to a clairvoyant and the clairvoyant says, you know, you were being haunted by an evil spirit. 
and the evil spirit is your third ex-husband, oh. Richard Hillman. She's like, oh my God. Oh no, Richard Hillman is going. So she's like, the reason for all your bad luck post-Richard Hillman is because it's of Richard, Richard Hillman. Hillman yeah. He's doing, he, he is like making sure your life is a misery because he wanted to kill you in that night. He didn't get to kill you, but now he's trying to like make your life misery. So she's, she's buying into this. She's like, oh my God, tell everyone, oh, Richard Hillman is like all this. Uh. But conveniently enough, the clairvoyant can fix this problem if Gail pays her enough money. Interesting. So obviously it's all a con job. And they kind of strung a salon for many episodes saying, you know, Richard Hillman's coming back, Richard Hillman's coming back as ghost. It was like the ghost of Richard Hillman. Honestly, when I was reading this, I was like, they're going to actually have him as a ghost, yeah. like in the background and he's going to be there. But it never happened. It was just a con woman saying, give me all your money and I will get rid of Richard Hillman. But she eventually found out she was a con. So we, we reckon he is dead. He's done. He's, he's gone. So. I can add some clarity. Oh, uh, from the Wikipedia page Yes Later on the police inform Gail That a body has been found At the canal side She returns there with Audrey And together they identify The body as Richards With her husband dead And all the troubles He inflicted upon both family Blah 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 Gail heads home Throws the rings in the canal uh, Towards the end of March 2003 Richards funeral takes place Okay But can we trust the Manchester police After wrongly <laughs> <laughs> No <laughs> we cannot Wrongly identifying Patricia So yeah. I don't know I think they may be planted that little Patricia seed just so who knows we could bring back Richard Hilton yeah. in the past I know I actually do remember now Adam you saying that that Gail had to go to the funeral that rang a bell Would you be I would have been satisfied with a ghost appearance though I would have been satisfied with a like I don't like the clairvoyant con job whatever grand because Gail can't catch a break but like there would have been a part of me that would have been like I don't know oh, no, abs- Well, a nightmare or something I and got, he's there I, I hate to say Poor this Gail I'm wishing absolute misery on her with your luck but soaps are in the gutter right now yeah. I, like, I hate to say it why not just bring them back? Yeah. How funny would it be? Like, it's not as if you're ruining the reputation of all these actors. It's like, yeah, okay, there's a ghost now. People and they'd probably do it because it's, especially when it's a role as iconic as that, you could probably offer enough money that it would be lucrative enough for them for even a tiny bit part. It's like, Absolutely. why aren't we going big like that anymore on the soaps? <sighs> like, I, it makes me sad how the soaps have got, but like, you understand as well as, a 15 year old is now not watching the soaps with their parents anymore yeah. it's just not doing it so eventually so we saw what happened with Neighbours mm. Neighbours is done now yeah and it's only going to be oh, ma- I always forget that yeah. Fuck, that makes me sad so it's only going to be a matter of time before you know they eventually reduce the days and then boom like I, 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 I say this with love in my heart for Fair City as well but like, who's watching Fair City? Anyone no, under will, 50? I will say, I tur- I had it on the other day and some fella fell through a building site and it was like, there was water coming in on him. It was like, he was going to drown and he no- I, I flicked on that and time as well. no signal on his phone. Yeah. That was, I quite enjoyed I was like, this is tense. This is enjoyable. Yeah. Or do you remember that big kidnapping plot that went on for like weeks? Where oh, nothing someone ever- in the box. Yeah, someone yeah. in the box. Yeah. That was a bit iconic. But then I don't know if I'm just saying that because it's us and I'm like, oh, look at us. Look at us trying. <laughs> mm. No, I just don't think the storylines are there anymore. Like when you look at the tram crash in 2010, can we think of anything big that used to, I remember there was a, did it, there might have been a helicopter crash in Emmerdale. Yes. I, that's ring, there was some sort of big thing that happened in Emmerdale where there's a massive explosion. Like I think, actually it was, it was the 50th anniversary of Emmerdale this week and they did 
Something like, oh, someone just got locked in a barn or something. The helicopter like. crash was a disastrous event that occurred in August 2015 when a helicopter crashed into the village. Yeah. Hate that. The crash was caused by an explosion after Chrissy White set alight her husband Robert Sugden's car during a heated argument at the scrapyard. The fire edged close to some gas canisters, causing them to explode into the air, colliding with the helicopter, leading the helicopter to then hurtle towards and crash into the village hall during the wedding of, wedding of Pete Barton and Debbie Dingle, right after Debbie's affair to Pete's brother Ross was revealed. What are the they not make it like that anymore. No. What are the chances? And I don't know if, if you remember the the tram crash. I had to watch it last night just to refresh. My I memory. haven't watched it since, but I do remember it. Oh my god! Because I thought the because tram- it was basically just like it, loads of people are going to die, and you need to watch to see who dies and who lives. That yeah. was it. it. Was always the tease of like people are going to die. You need to otherwise that's it. You're like you're not going to find out. Like watching, <laughs> you'll see who dies. Favorite part was uh, so I I completely forgot there was an explosion in Coronation Street on the street. And then that messed up with the tram line that I didn't even know ran right behind it. Yeah, come, how, was that, how had that never been brought up before? <laughs> My favourite part of it though was the camera was straight on when you could see the tram driver who was just a random extra coming down and just his really scared face but bad acting of him going, ah! <laughs> And him just, and it was the way the tram moved was so like, it was kind of like watching Godzilla from the first Godzilla where everything was so like static in yeah. its way, its movement. And it was like, they got a train set and they videoed it in a train set and then just made it look bigger on screen. They it was probably so did. badly done. But my favourite, if you ever get a chance, if, if you listen now and you want to watch something really funny. I'll link it in the show notes. Look at the train driver's face as he realises the tram is going to fall into, was it the corner? Was it Dev's corner shop? It was some shop anyway. Uh, it's just so funny. It was brilliant. I can't wait to watch that back. I'm so excited. I'm just so disappointed that they just, as you said, they just don't have the storylines anymore. Maybe it's a money thing. I don't know. Maybe it is a money thing, but I do think it is just that kind of moving audience as well. Like yeah. you'll all you'll have the like the thing with that kind of TV that's like non-streaming, like terrestrial, whatever. That they still have like older audiences in a chokehold. But yeah. what happens then when not to be grim? they all oh, eventually no, die. Yeah. Like it's, there's no, I don't see what happens there then, which is a shame because it is such a part of a British and like Irish culture and has given us moments like this. Mm. They don't, they just don't, I don't know. They don't yeah. do it like they used to. Because when was it, like big television really kind of started in the US, what, in the late 90s, early 90s, when you're looking at the likes of Sopranos yeah. and The Wire, the kind of big event television and then that kind of came over to us Probably we got The Sopranos and the likes of Desperate Housewives and all that maybe yeah. early noughties on RT2. But then I even think the next wave of it was like streaming. Like that was the death knell because yeah. it's like then you have something like Game of Thrones that you could binge or like save because it was still that like idea of like that prestige TV that like was from across the globe and we can watch it at the same time as America. This yeah. is class, whatever. And everyone's talking about it. And that was still event television but even towards the end of that you could see it like slowly phasing even the concept of binging a show like that people catching up on all the seasons beforehand to watch for the last season like that never happened unless you owned all the box sets like it's even to think about how often Corrie is still on like three nights a week isn't it it's like Monday, Wednesday, Friday I think recently they I think recently and I I could be remembering this wrong that they went toe to toe with EastEnders on some night that could have been it because I know they changed their schedule as well yeah because I was like lads don't go against each other. You're already competing for a small audience. Do not try and split the audience. Yeah. Because people who watch Carnation Street will just eventually then just go over to Curry. Yeah. Um, 
EastEnders and Corrie, sorry. So it was originally broadcast twice with this incarnation through now. Originally broadcast twice weekly. The series began airing six times a week in 2017. I remember that. I think we did the double bill on a Monday. Okay. I that think. makes sense. But even then, that still seems so late for a... Uh, I think what they did was it was half seven to eight, then it was EastEnders eight to half eight and then Coronation Street came on again half eight to nine. I could be misremembering that but I remember Monday night was huge because I remember... that would be when the big thing would happen like yeah. if the, something was teased. Because I, I, I remember we had either it was either an hour of Coronation Street EastEnders and then Glee was on afterwards. Oh. I used to love Glee then as well. So Monday night around transition year for me was huge. So God, it, it just shows how sad it was that I get excited by. I, I didn't go to teenage discos till late teens. I wasn't going to teenage discos <laughs> when I was 13 or 14. And I you think, had a lot of TV to be watching. <laughs> I think this episode of Lap Culture kind of shows that, that I stayed in with my parents. Like I didn't start drinking till I was 17. I was a very late bloomer and I have Coronation Street and Ashley Peacock to blame for that. Ashley Peacock. Oh, I can't. Just even compare it to this moment that we're talking about with Richard Hillman. So currently, the show averages around six million viewers per episode, which is still what very strong. That's yeah. very good. Yeah. yeah, Jesus, I didn't there expect that at all. There you go. Ten thousand episodes, nearly eleven thousand at this point. Oh my god, insane! And I think Ken Barlow has been in every single one of them. Yes, I think he's the longest running yeah. one. He was yeah, there day one. There you go. I really hope your audience enjoyed Carnation Street. I, I don't know if no, that many I people... I cannot <laughs> even begin to explain how obsessed I am with this episode. I think people are going to absolutely love it. I can't I wait to have so. you back to talk about another Carnation well, Street Well, who do you actor. want? You, I can go Dev. But I see, the thing De- is... I don't think Dev is... Dev is a right. Yeah, he's not a... This Dev's is the thing. This is the thing. I really had to dig deep to find how I could frame Richard Hillman as a flop just I so take, I could talk I, about Richard I Hillman. I take the loosest of connection. I just want to talk about things. You yeah. know, I'm like... <laughs> The concept is pretty loose at this point. Like, like it's to be fine. fair, if you want to do a whole episode on Dev, Dev and Deirdre's affair, boom, I'm all over it. <gasps> that was a bit of yeah. Let's okay. I, yeah, let's listen, yeah. I'll come back for season seven of Flop Culture. Okay. Don't worry. Obsessed, Graham. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Where can people find out more about you? You're on the radio doing yes. bits with your good friend Nathan, who I do also want to come in as well. I hope I haven't caused consternation between the two of you inviting you in, but he's next on my hit list. Well, so. I, I fear. That I, have I to fear ad- it's too late. No, no, I fear that I've taken his flop. Oh no! Because you know I was talking to you about the other flop I was going to do, but there's just which some- I still think you. I don't want to say it on air, but you can come back and do that. Not enough footage. Okay. Mm. I was really trying to find footage, yeah. and that's why I panicked. And I was saying it to Nathan, and Nathan goes, "Man, why don't you just do Richard Hillman? You love Richard Hillman." There I go, go, "God, that is true." And he loves Richard Hillman too, so I do fear that I have taken his. I'll, I'll give him a bit of time to think I'll of give him a heads up that yeah. he's on the hit list in the future. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you want to listen to, well, actually, please listen to my radio show. Because <laughs> no I, if you want to, please <laughs> no, no, listen. please. Because I will lose my job if you don't. <laughs> so I'm now on FM 104, 104 Drive, Monday to Friday between three and seven with my good old pal Nathan. We talk a lot about Richard Hillman. They sure do. Graham, I cannot stress enough. It's been such a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much for joining me on Flap Culture. <laughs> And you can catch Graham, as he said there, on 104 Drive with Nathan O'Reilly on FM 104. And I'll leave all his other links below. He's very funny, so go seek him out. And Nathan, you are invited on. Let me know. Let's 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 work this out. I'm, I'm sure you have another flop in you to talk about. Finally, let's get into Top of the Flops. You're a flop. Top of the Flops this week is, and I hate to do it, I hate to do it to you, but it's Beyonce. Because at the time of recording, uh, she has just announced her renaissance, renaissance for the Americans, uh, her renaissance world tour. We have been waiting. We have been chomping at the bit for any 
any hint of a world tour, any visuals. We are never getting the visuals, but we are now getting a world tour, which is very exciting. Except in in Beyonce's world, Ireland doesn't exist because there is no Irish state whatsoever. She is she is not coming to live the marquee. She's not coming to uh what are the other venues in Cork? Independent Peace Park? Peace Park? No. Uh she's not coming to Dublin. She's not coming to Galway. She's not going anywhere. She's a few dates in London. She's bopping around Paris then, various other European venues, Ireland, nowhere to be seen. Which you know what? Is insulting for a gal who, like, we've all seen that video of her with the pint of Guinness. And she's like smooching. She's like pursing her lips. She's like, I love this pint. I love Guinness. I love Ireland. I love you all. Oh, I'm Beyonce. Yes, yes, yes. Where are we then, babe? Where are we? I'm not happy about it. Because I've already, I already have to travel for Madonna and I have to travel for Beyonce. And I will do it. And that's the thing. She knows I'll do it. It's frustrating. There is talk of maybe something will be announced later on because there's a pretty decent gap between the London dates and the Paris dates, date singular. So maybe it is on the cards to be announced. Some speculation that maybe it's Croke Park and they're kind of ironing out finer details to which I say, who do I need to talk to in the GA to make this happen? Marty Morrissey? Who else is in GA? Who else? Who who do I need to talk to to make this happen? Who is stalling things? Is it the Brogans? Who are they? Who else is in this sport? The O'Halpines? Do they still play? I don't know. Do, will I talk to them? Beyonce, just let me know because there's no need there's no need to be leaving stuff out like this. You know what I mean? We can just, we can all sit down and have a civilised conversation and we can all get our groove on and we can all wear our pink cowboy hats and spin those twirly things around that like light up and they're definitely, they the plastic, I don't even want to think about it. Just let me have my night out and let me not have to book another flight to go to see you, babe. Okay, please. That's all I'm asking. And then I'll rec- I will rescind Top the Flaps. But until then, Beyonce, you are Top the Flaps because... I hate to see it. Hate, hate to see it. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And if this is your first time, thank you so much for listening for the first time. Hope it's not the last time. We are Flapculture underscore pod on Instagram and TikTok. Come follow us over there for more. You can get in touch at helloflapculture at gmail.com. As always, rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts to get a personalised bop or flop recommendation. You can also leave a five-star review on Spotify. This podcast has been edited expertly by Adam Shanahan and artwork is, as always, by Brian Lambert. I will see you next week for the next episode of Flap Culture. Bye!